Welcome to the Pillars of Health podcast with resident strength coach, John Carroll. The Pillars of Health is on a quest to help you gain insight into the best ways you can manage stress, sleep, exercise, and nutrition in order to live your best life. Stay up to date with the Pillars of Health podcast by checking out our Facebook and Instagram pages, as well as CoachJohnCarroll.com. All right, welcome to the Pillars of Health podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Carroll, resident strength coach. Today, I have a really great topic on hand that we're going to get into with Myron Kravitz, my boss and co-owner of The Training Room. The topic is food sensitivities, celiac disease, and making sense of it all. So this is a very complex topic and one that I wanted to get someone who had experience in this area, who went through it themselves, and kind of can tell me firsthand, basically get an answer to your questions when it comes to food sensitivities or food allergies, whatever the case may be. So let's get into it. Maren, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. This is your first time on the pod. So we have to do the obligatory question. I was going to see, what are your top five rappers of all time? Oh, wow. <laughs> top five rappers of all time. That's, I mean, can I, give, I could give you maybe my top three. We won't even need another two. Yeah, give me a top I mean, three. Biggie. Pff, there you go. Guaranteed, yep. Oh, Got to bring that. Big Jay-Z fan. Nice. Like myself a little Kanye once in a while. Early Kanye, right? Early Kanye. Yeah, yeah early Kanye, Kanye was the best. Off, yeah. I, think, I mean, I'm from Queens, so LL. LL's oh, man, a big... Yeah, yeah. Well, you're just from a yeah. hotbed of, of rap yeah. talent there, yeah. LL, Fat Joe, I mean, they were all up in there. But I'd have to say, if I could... Uh, and I mean, let's give rap to the West Coast. Let's get a little Tupac. Oh, of course. Of course. So, Tupac Biggie, greatest of all time in my book. Yeah, yeah. All right. Good to know. Like You know your rap. I like it. <laughs> Excellent. I asked, following on from that, give me a little background on you, the strength coach how you basically ended up as a corner of the training room. A little, little bio there. Uh, real quick, was uh, into sports and athletics all my life. Started off playing uh, little boys baseball and t-ball when I was a kid and some uh, some tennis. Went to school, got it done there, and then I thought I wanted a real job. Thought I wanted that 9 to 5. Thought I wanted to sit behind that desk and write those briefs and be a, a lawyer all the time, and that just was not feeling right for me. So... Um, I used to take phone calls standing up and walking around. Nobody wants to see you walking around with a headpiece on. My boss was not uh, (laughs) fond of that. So um, took back tennis coaching, went into that, and then got into training. And since then got into the corporate gym world. Loved working with clients hands down. Mm -hmm. I was in it to win it with clients. Uh, Teaching classes also was great, but one-on-one working with that general population really, um, it stuck with me. It it gets in deep and basically it satisfies me day and night i wake up i crave it yeah and that's all i wanted to do so by bringing in the training room and being able to do what i love every single day with the people i love right surrounded by the people i love um could not make my life better than it is nice so do you like the interaction with people and kind of seeing them on their journey like basically doing things maybe they, they thought wasn't possible and going from a place of maybe not being 100 percent happy with how they are and then finding a place where they are happy, right? You know, Absolutely. And part of the journey also is that journey is going to change. It's going right. to change once. It's going to change 10 times, maybe more. So being open to hearing them and listening, finding a way to, against in a sense, compromise, come together, and then focus and follow a plan. I'm huge about, you know, once you know something works for you and we can get into that with, with food, right. stick to it. Why wouldn't you want to feel better? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to s- stick to a, a particular, you know, set of foods that make you feel better? 
um, some people, especially will come up in celiac disease, like, how can you follow that diet? Because the other option is not even possible for right. me. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's a really good point and really steamrolls us into the topic of today's podcast, food sensitivity, celiac disease, making sense of it all. I mean, just put it all under food and reactions to food in general, right? Yeah. And you made a fantastic point where some people will eat, they won't feel 100%. And in fact, in my own experience, some people I've talked to with clients, etc., they'll say, oh, you know, I don't, I don't react too well to this food, but this goes on for years, 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 and then finally the penny drops, right? And then they're like, maybe I've actually got a problem and I need to stay away from this food. So can you, first of all, clear up for me and the listeners the difference between like a food sensitivity and a food allergy? Sure. So food sensitivity, what I would say, and again, uh, this is my non-medical-based background, but I've been at this now for 17 years, I think. So um, food sensitivity, I'd say, could be anything that you just have some sort of reaction to, per se. You may not feel good. Uh, it could be a rash. It could be hives. It could be your stomach hurts. You feel bloated. It could be any sort of reaction. It could be you ate too much of it, something within uh, the confines of eating it with something else. Who knows, but you had a sensitivity to it. Mm -hmm. Food allergy. Straight up food allergy is no joke. If you have an uh, anaphylactic shock, you have a nut allergy, you have a dairy allergy, you have a fish or shellfish allergy, that's on a whole different level. That's even on a different level than what I have with celiac disease. So um, again, a lot of respect to that. And you got to be super careful. I mean, look at peanuts on the plane there's no more peanuts on the plane is you know directly why yeah exactly and you make a really good point because add on to that now celiac disease on top of an allergy and sensitivity what's what's the differentiate celiac disease yep real simple celiac disease is an actual 100 percent autoimmune disease Mm -hmm. so it is a small intestinal disorder where my body or anyone with celiac disease, you cannot break down the products of gluten or the proteins behind that. Basically, your small intestine has hair-like follicles, which are called villi, and those villi basically get trampled when Mm. you can't break it down, so you become rather malnourished because your small intestine isn't working properly. You're not taking in vitamins, nutrients, the good stuff in the food that you should be. It's passing, it's getting malabsorbed, so it's not getting absorbed the right way. It's coming out in all different ways and places, we'll just say, and you became a rather unhealthy individual. The symptoms that you may have, again, will go across, everybody's different. I am one celiac, I have different symptoms than, per se, um, another person who's a celiac who will have very different symptoms. From that, again, an autoimmune disease then could become something much worse. There is cases where celiac disease turns into different cancers when they do not or don't follow or follow the diet specifically but again separating them apart sensitivity could be just some reaction to food allergy it could be an anaphylactic shock throat closes up i mean that's again on the top of the scale and then autoimmune celiac disease kind of have it for life and it's it's manageable What's the percentage of the population that falls into each category, would you say? I'm, I'm not going to be sure about the yeah. other populations, but I know for celiac disease right now, I think we're about at 1 and 133 people. So they say 1% of mm-hmm. the global population has it. However, you could be undiagnosed right. because it's only getting more prominent or um, the tests for it now are a lot more simple. And again, we'll go into that as well. But just because you may test positive in a blood test per se isn't, you know, 100%. There's some other things that we can that we can do. But um, it's becoming a global disease, which, again, for anyone who travels, we could go into that. That's a whole nother 
ball of cards. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. is it, that could be a part two and a part three to this. You know it. You yeah. Know it. yeah. We've got three things on the, the menu here today. I want you to take us on a journey of your experience, find out how you were celiac and basically everything that that entailed. You can start from like what symptoms you experienced early on to mm-hmm. going to the doctor and basically what route it kind of took from there. All right. Might get a little graphic <laughs> yeah. at times, but I'll try to keep it on the DL here. Right. I guess we'll really bring it back to, um, we'll do a quick one in high school. Um, I used to eat food and I used to go lie down on my stomach. Mm. I literally would keel over. I'd feel really much more comfortable getting into the fetal position and laying down because I was automatically bloated and gaseous. I, I felt like I was busting out of my pants. Whatever would happen next, whether it be a bowel movement or you know passing gas or whatever it was, you'd have some relief until maybe it came again. So let's imagine this. Most people eat, what, four to six times a day if you're good? Three if you're not? Right. I'm lying on my stomach four to six times a day, yeah. waiting for something to go down. That's not, that's I'm not, not a normal. happy camper. Yeah. No. Nah. Okay, now, let's take this to college. Now you go away to college. Mm. You got a roommate. You're drinking beer. You're eating dining hall food. You better hope that that roommate either has got nose plugs, a gas mask, right. or something. Best part is half the time I'm sleeping, I don't even know that this is going on. Yeah. Love my roommate, big shout out to her. She uh, definitely stuck by me. I, I just did not know. I didn't, I thought anybody has a stomachache, right? You get right. a little tummy yeah. ache, you take a Tums or something, here we go. I went away, I got accepted into a program in London. I lived in England, I lived in London for a year and a half, let's talk about drinking beer. Right. <laughs> Undiagnosed, and so now we're in my junior year of college, and boy was I having fun, and I was feeling miserable. If yeah. you looked at a picture of me, I looked like uh, a healthy person. Celiac disease goes one of two ways. You will get really skinny celiacs before they get diagnosed where they are so malabsorbed that they can't take in food, and I love to eat. I could have ate. I ate everything. I took in so many calories. Trust me, some of them had a stick. I looked like a bloated, malnourished child with a large stomach of a almost pregnant person who was not pregnant at all. It was in my face and it was in my belly. And it wasn't normal. It was rock solid. It was air. It was gas. You want to talk about PRI breathing? When we do some PRI breathing at the training room, yeah. I need to be on my in my own corner, literally. All right, so we went to, we, we studied in London, we lived and we worked there for a little bit, we studied, uh, and then I traveled around the world, sipping beers in all countries. That did not leave my stomach happy. I got back, graduated from college, and I'm like, you know something, something's gotta give. I had a really good doctor, um, who I felt very comfortable with at Beth Israel Hospital, shout out to them, because they're pretty great. And one day for my annual physical, I said, listen, I walked in there and I said, something's not right. Do normal people fart this much? Like, do normal people right. have this much gas? That's a usual question. <laughs> I mean, like, excuse me, am I supposed to feel like this and eat food and literally go have to put a pillow under my stomach and lie on my stomach? She's like, no, you should feel better. Then right. that was the case. Basically, was where to go, where to go next. The great part about it is that at Beth Israel Hospital at the time, they were one of the first places to start to set up a more a celiac center per se or um, a gastroenterology department that had a piece of it that was designated more to stomach and celiac disease so again i'm struggling with this for this with a long time finally went to my doctor because i know that's going to be one of your questions and i said to her li- literally like what could this be she didn't even say the word celiac disease for me i didn't even know that word existed yet she brought up some key terms which like ibs 
Yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody's got a little bad IBS. There are a couple of bells. Oh, moment. we yep. all got a little bad IBS. Just depends on the day. But she said, you know, let's dig a little deeper. Let's get you a, a gastroenterology an appointment. And again, this was before all the healthcare issues that we have now. But still, that's not an impossible appointment to ask for and get. Waited a little bit. And then, um, again, I want to let you, if you want me to keep going, I can keep going into that. Or um, from there, I had to go home. Didn't change anything. There was no medication to take. And in the meantime, we were just kind of like, you know, think about what you eat, see what it is, this and that. Got that gastroenterology appointment, told him exactly the same thing I told my doctor. And he said, okay, well, let's run a couple tests, some simple, simple things. Let's do a couple blood tests and then let's get you set up for some full out dairy or uh, lactose intolerance testing. Mm. So um, that was going to be a separate day, followed by we also uh, went on and followed up. We did some fructose intolerance testing. But we did a blood test that day. He mentioned the word celiac disease, didn't go into anything about it, said, eh, probably IBS. You know, we'll do it anyways. So quick question. Yeah. What or how did they test for yep. fructose or milk and dairy as okay. opposed to blood tests? So those ones were separate. I literally, when I went in for a uh, lactose intolerance test, it was awesome. Right. You're sitting here, you're not feeling well already. They probably know you got a problem with lactose. How do you do a lactose intolerance test? You swallow a quart of lactose, mm. literally. And then you damn well better be near a bathroom if you come back positive. So yeah. what happens is basically you're in a room, maybe a bunch of people, you all drink the same amount of lactose and then you do a breath test. So you breathe into a breath. Again, it could be like something that, you know, it basically takes in what degree or something comes back about how positive or negative you are affected by something. Oh, you're breathalyzer basically? Basically, I'm yeah. getting breathalyzer right. in, in, yeah. in lactose. Out of the room, I think there might have been about eight to ten people. Boom, first breast saliva. They're like, you need to go. Yeah. You're that positive. Wow. I didn't even make it. I had to go back to Central Square because I was working at that BSC at the time. And I was uh, living over there. And I mean, I was like, oh, damn. I got to get home right, right. now. <laughs> so um, that was the first one. So we're like, all right, boom. Let's remove dairy. Pretty simple. Let's just start with that. And again, blood test was going to come back. I had my follow-up with the GI doctor in a little bit, but we weren't there so, okay, I'm a very compliant person. You tell me something to do, I check it off. It doesn't happen again. I'm not one of those. I'll read the label. I'll work the magic. I'll try to figure out where the hidden lactose is. So we got me off the lactose, and I think a week or two went by until my appointment. And I'm like, I don't know. Don't feel that different. Yeah. Ain't all that. Not a huge difference. No. Still got gas. Still going to the bathroom. Still got things going on. Right. Came back. He asked me, how you feel? Eh, not better. He goes, well. Lo and behold, blood test came back. Sorry to say, you're positive. You have celiac disease. Okay, what are you talking about? What does that mean? What are you talking about? He goes, good thing. I can't really get into it or dive into it with you because, again, I don't want to do it a disjustice, but we have an excellent nutritionist at Beth Israel Hospital who is literally probably one of the first people to be diagnosed in Boston oh, wow. in the nutrition department. And she said, well, we will get you first into an appointment. In the meantime, before you start doing that diet forever, we got to do an upper GI. Mm -hmm. So I want to do an upper GI, which is an upper endoscopy, and they wanted to do a lower GI on me at the same time just because let's get it all done. Now, what were they looking for there? So they have to test and take pictures and look at my villi because they are not going to go based on a blood test 100%. If my villi are flattened and my small intestine is beat down, That is the absolute indicator that celiac disease is in your body. Something's going on. 
they did the lower one because I just had so many problems. My numbers, so let's just say on a scale, I think it goes zero to 20 or zero to 35, or zero to 20 is normal. 20 to like 40 is about something else. My numbers came back where they were off the Richter, they had no numbers for them. It was one of the high, he said it was one of the highest tests he's ever seen. It just had red dots. There was just, there was no, you are too celiac to even be, so let's get you under the scope and see what happens. So we set up, I went through a colonoscopy as well because they wanted to check some other stuff because it's all connected. And we did an upper GI. Uh, funny part for a side story, if we do part B, is I did wake up during my colonoscopy. <laughs> that was epic. Okay. Because <laughs> the doctor's talking to the machine and they're going, open, close, open, close, open, close, because they're snipping and taking parts. And I'm like, open, close? You're talking about my eyes? You want me to open, close my eyes? All right, I'm open. I'm here. It's like, oh my God, you're awake. I'm like, yeah, I'm awake, but I'm on drugs, <laughs> but I'm open, close. I'm ready to go. So lo and behold, they get the test results back pretty quickly on that. I'm all messed up. Got to get be picked up from those things. And he said, yeah, your small intestine is done. Wow. It is just your villi. There are none. There's no villi. So, so basically food was just coming straight through. Coming straight through. Yeah. So that was, here we go. Here's why I'm anemic. Here's why I got no vitamin, anything in my body. I'm straight up anemic. You know, you're, it, it could be so many other things, but now it's all tying in. Yeah. Stuff that my mom had said in the past. He's like, all right. Let's let's get your family alerted because it's a completely genetic disorder. Let's get your mom and your dad. Go get your just immediate family tested. I have no brothers, no sisters. And then he's like, all right, we're going to get you in with that nutritionist. But the quick part was like, I got to eat. I got to go home and eat. Yeah, I have to live until this nutrition appointment. So the World Wide Web, me and my partner at the time, Basically, they were so not ready for celiac disease at that point at that hospital that even the nurse, the first thing she offered me was a cracker because it just didn't register to her. She's like, oh, my God, no, wait. And I was like, I have celiac disease. I'm out of it. I can't have a cracker. She's like, oh, my God, I'll get you apple juice because like I was I hadn't had anything in my belly. Colonoscopy prep is not cool. So um, Trader Joe's and Whole Foods became not not a shot. I mean, it became a four hour epic bout what did you eat during that period so we kept it so bland i was on like the ulcerative like on a diet that was like boiled chicken and and green beans yeah not i mean like we just kept it very basic and we started to look for things we started to read about what was out there and the first thing i saw was are you kidding me a loaf of bread is going to cost me six dollars right. john the price was it was unreal. This is before Whole Foods gluten-free. I yeah. mean, it became like every other oh, yeah. thing that every brand what was it? it. Do you remember the brand that there was? Yeah. I Sorry. Don't like the brand. Glutino. It was oh, right okay. then and there. Okay. It, it was as dense as it could come. It was in the freezer. I'm like, all these products are in the freezer. There's nothing <laughs> fresh here. So I'm like, you know something? I'm going to eat on the outside of the store, which is what I usually was telling my clients to do. And I'm going to travel around the outside of the store. And for the most part, I can eat the meat. I can eat the veggies. I can eat the fruit. I can grab some sort of dairy, but I was laying off the dairy. But now I was like, wait a minute, is really dairy the problem? Maybe not. So maybe we could slowly bring it back in. So I stayed stayed low-key for a while, and I really started to feel better in those two weeks. It was miraculous. It was unreal. What were the biggest differences you noticed? The bloating. Was gone or going away? Going away. Yeah. I mean, it would take a while. Going away, I didn't keel over when I went, when I ate. You actually ate something? I ate food, and it 
it stayed, it stuck, but it didn't make me feel sick. It didn't make me feel gaseous. Of course, you're going to have gas like a normal human being. Isn't there a book? Everybody farts. Everybody poops. Right. I'm sure everybody farts. Everybody doesn't. But man, um, I and my mood. That's a whole nother thing. Interesting. Um, again, I was diagnosed as a kid. You know, I had ADHD, and there's a lot of connections between that and food coloring. And if you're, you know, fed by your mom or mother's milk and this and that, I, I wasn't. So maybe there was a tie in there. There's a lot of things, but yeah. my mood, everything, I felt clearer, better. My energy was more level. Yeah, I was just about to ask, how were the you know, energy levels? Energy levels started to come through better. Yeah. I mean, again, I was I was a marathon runner at that time. I mean, I was getting that upper endoscopy, and then the next day, I had two days later, I had a 22 mile run I had to get to for the wow. Boston Marathon. I felt my insides moving around, but I just felt hope. I guess is a great way to put it. I was like, wait, I feel better. Mm -hmm. For the first time in 22, 23 years of my existence, I felt better. But then, real quickly, I realized, oh my, my life has changed forever. All the things that I loved, all the fun that I had, all the easy going out to eat, that brought on now a different type of anxiety in my life. That brought on like, I'm not comfortable going out yeah. to restaurants like I'm not so again that could be a whole nother thing but amazing how quickly once diagnosed because I went about it the right way I didn't self-diagnose because again I had a doctor that that knew that if I said something I didn't complain about a lot of things that it, it was legit and um, I felt better so you mentioned an interesting point there the feeling of hope right mm -hmm. and just from my years of coaching and I'm sure from your years of coaching you've come across people who have a a reaction to certain foods, but they don't know how to go about finding out which one it is or what that reaction may be, and they just feel kind of beat down. Mm -hmm. You know, like, how do I get to the bottom of this? And, you know, and I, I saw a stat the other day where it was like, I think it's on average, it's three to seven years the journey to find out what is actually bothering your gut. Yeah, because it's amazing. So let's take Aaron's, uh, is it taco salad or uh, what's taco salad? Uh, taco yeah. salad. If you think about all the ingredients in there, and this taco salad is as healthy as can be, right. but if you rip apart or look at all the ingredients, and not even talking about spices or anything else, it's probably, I don't know, six, seven, eight to six, ten, yeah. maybe more. Right. Not bad things. But every single one of those things somebody could be separately sensitive to. So it becomes consuming. It becomes overwhelming. It becomes like a black hole. Like you're going down it, and how deep can you go down it? So what they had me do... In the beginning, again, while I was trying to get diagnosed, I even tried to start a little bit, is I just started writing things down. But you got to write it down. Yeah. You're tracking com everything. Compliance for clients. For, give me an example. What, what were you writing down? Yeah. Um, I, I'm a detail-oriented person, so I would write down in detail. Um, I'd write down what I ate, how much of it I ate, what was the brand, so I could look back if I wanted to see what were the additives or the, the buy-in, the, the little things they were adding in. Um, I'd write down what I ate it in conjunction with, what time of day it was, super important. Um, was I drinking something with it? Because that counts too. Was I drinking water? Oh, or was I drinking bubbly water? You know, those things matter. So basically, I looked at something and I put all the details down, and then we started to find some patterns. And that was only because I wrote it all down. I wasn't trying to cover up how many calories I was eating. I wasn't trying not to shy away from the fact that I had a Snickers bar that day or something else. I was completely honest because I wanted to feel better. How many times did you go back and see this is what caused it? It, it actually started, I mean, once we figured out, I, beer was very easy. I mean, yeah. beer was, I mean, I could have, 
that was a straight up. I liked Guinness. I mean, I liked I liked good beers at the time. Some things were straight up ID. Oh boy, here's a good one. I had my first half marathon before I got diagnosed. And um, everybody was saying, oh, yeah, you got to I was I was doing my first half marathon because I was going to do the, Bo- the Boston Marathon that year. And where did I go to go eat before? Oh, you got a carbo load, right? Yep. So I went and ate pasta. Oh, Lord. I had a good friend of mine, good friend of Chris Mullins. Shout out to Mark Blandon, my first running buddy. And he will be the he will own this till till the day he goes under that it was the first time he'd he'd met me at a race. And he walked into the room where we were staying in Hyannis and we were staying at the Hyannis Hotel and he's like, I don't mean to be rude, but damn, what is the smell in that bathroom? Like a human being. I had pasta the night before. I mean, I thought I was supposed to eat that. But like, so pasta, pizza, the big ticket carbs, beer, those those were really those were really doing it. Lo and behold, I had many other issues that we came to find, but the big ticket things were pretty simple yeah. to see. Right. So that made it pretty obvious to me that there was something something going on. But food tracking is only as good as honesty and quality and content and duration. You can't just do it for three days. Yeah. You can't just do it for a week. But also, you were at a point there where you were so just beaten down. You're like, I need to get to the bottom of this, where you're so invested in, in your health and getting better mm-hmm. that you're like, I'm doing this. I, and I think it takes some people a lot longer maybe to get to that point. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That's, that's a- I would say that if anything, if it's got to do with your health, whether it's you're concerned about, muscle gain or weight loss or weight gain or performance or whatever it has to do with your health that's to me on a level onto its own that that is your every day that you wake up every day that is your body you're carrying that around every day and we're given one yeah it's your temple right and so to me nothing else matters it whatever dedication it took whatever time it took again I, i don't have kids you know i had a career but again no matter what there are ways to find a way to do it. Put the journal in your pocket, have a pen, you're eating something, shoot it well, down. Well, nowadays, you can just put that Boom. iPhone, I'm, put it on notes, right? You I know? still write everything down, analog all the way. <laughs> I'm with you on yeah. that one. Analog all the way. I'm with you on that one. So being coaches, we, we talk about oftentimes if, if you're not measuring it or if you're not tracking it, you're not really you know getting a sense of where the progress is. Mm-hmm. So that actually kind of falls into that category, right? So that, that that's a really good point and really good pointer for someone who maybe is perhaps struggling with what is causing my disruption mm-hmm. in my stomach. I did this with some groups I've worked with and I've done this. And if anything, maybe not to find the cause or effect, but to open someone's eyes and broaden their perspective, because then it's like, wow, let's look at this this whole thing, this whole pie that we have here. And then let's try to make some similar connections. And you'll see, you know, my energy was low here. And again, we're going off into other things. But like, there are relations to all these things that come into our body. But when you find something that's more optimal, unfortunately, and again, I'm going to shout out to Derek with this one. It's boring. Yeah, it's not sexy. It's not sexy at all. And you know something, that picture you had the other day, you took yourself, that was quite sexy. <laughs> so there you go. You stick with optimal things. You get optimal body. But again, I wasn't in it for any of those reasons. I just wanted to feel better. I was not happy. Yeah. And it was a large part of just how I felt every day in our mood. If you're someone who gets cranky, if you're someone who snaps, if you're someone who, who may have an up and a down, a lot of it could be how your gut feels. So that's a really good point because I feel like a lot of us kind of just accept the way we feel sometimes and don't question it. Can you tell me some of the symptoms you had and maybe some of the symptoms you've you've been told of people who maybe have gone through a similar food sensitivity journey? What are some of those symptoms, number one, and 
what kind of prompted people to maybe try and make a change? Like, what was the tipping point? But kind of start with the food. The, sorry, the yeah, the feelings, right? So, like I said, my biggest symptoms, and again, you know, we're just going to use the the words, you know, um, gas, bloating, diarrhea. Yeah. Those were the three key things. I never. Now that I think about it, I did have some small bouts of just plain old eczema. Some people have very serious types of eczema or um, dermatological things that go on. Here are the other things. I had white spots on my nails. Mm. White spots on my nails. I had, and those are gone. Um, I used to, I used to get a lot of like a little bit of like crustaceans on my eyes, just like different things that would, I just wasn't producing the right you know, things to have my body work optimally, whether I didn't have certain vitamins or minerals. I'm trying to think what else. Um, I was definitely anemic, but we knew that for a long time. And trust me, I eat red meat. Oh, maybe it's because you're a woman, you know, menstrual cycle. No, I had nothing to do with it. It didn't matter what I took in. It mattered that I couldn't actually do anything with that. But you weren't abstracting nutrients from the food, basically. And, and at all. Did you, um, did you supplement at all? So at that time, no, because, I mean, supplementation wasn't big back yeah. then. I mean, again, I'm a little bit older than you. But um, they didn't – I took a multivitamin. I mean, they, they didn't want to get get into that, yet I didn't do anything on my own either. Not because I wasn't comfortable with doing that. It was just by the time it came up, we started steamrolling it forward. But um, I didn't want to – um do anything that I didn't feel comfortable doing. Once the doctor or someone else said, hey, maybe try this or take a little bit of that, you know, because there are some supplements out there, again, that you can overboard and, and take, and they're not water-soluble, you know, like too much iron, per se, right. or something, yeah. you know, that, that yeah, gets exactly. a little little bit dangerous. Um, I think at one point it took calcium, but a lot of times you can take calcium and not have it with vitamin D, you get constipated. So you're screwing, you know, yourself up. So because I was having such stomach problems, people were saying to me before I was diagnosed, oh, just eat more whole grains, eat more bran, Get get yourself some more, uh, you know, you'll be less constipated. You'll go to the bathroom better. More grains, more bran. Damn. I was eating all the stuff that was making me blow up, yeah. making it. I was like a walking. Was that an attempt to have more fiber? Is that what that was? Yeah, yeah we were trying to get me right. to be a little more like more, regular. More on, on, on the clock. And right? here I am. I'm a walking, t- I'm a walking poop bomb, basically, <laughs> which that's another story. Did have some mis- incidents with that. But um, again, my like what I said. I basically said to my doctor, I have a lot of stomach aches and this can't be normal. Or I, I have a lot of gas. This just can't be normal. I mean, this isn't like an once in a, a while occurrence. This is every meal, every time. So again, if you are every meal, every time on your stomach, that's something. If you are every meal, every time a little bit uncomfortable, you might be able to do something with it. Yeah. But I'd say if you are every meal every time and there are a lot of things going on with you, tell your doctor. It's prevalent enough now that people yeah. know about it. Kind of going back to when you were talking about your journey and you know, you're know you starting to see improvement. Tell me about basically kind of lead up to present day and how you've gone to the point where you've perfected things to the point where you won't put yourself in a, in a situation where there might be a risk of you taking in a food that might upset you. But what was it like a small increments of improvement over time or was it like a sudden improvement. Yep. So the first couple of weeks, I'd say in the first month, I definitely felt better, which was great. So I knew that it was working. I knew some other people that got diagnosed as well. And they were like, celiac disease, this diet, not handling this diet. What, never have a New York slice of pizza again, never have a bagel. I'm like, really? You could do that? I don't cheat. I have never cheated on my diet. Like, and again, I do not like the word diet and I do not like the word cheating. I don't like all of those things, but I don't do that. 
I have been, we all call it poisoned by things. I have a couple, you know, incidents where that has happened. But me, myself, in what I consume, I purchase at the store or what's in my control, I don't cheat. As good as, man, some of those baked goods look or somebody bakes something, they're like, oh, man, I forgot you silly at disease. You can't eat that. Oh, how about just one bite, Marin? We'll be okay. Just one bite. No. No, we don't play. It's, so, not, it's not like a fair trade-off, though. No. Because you're going to have that one bite, and then it's going to mess you yep, up. Yeah, which you, I'm, in the time you've known me, right. it's happened. I mean, we've um, we've been out a couple times, different places. You know, we go out of staff, got a little something. So when I when I was first diagnosed, I was stringent to a T. I wouldn't go anywhere where the food was cross-contaminated. Mm-hmm. The only place I went, thank you, Legal Seafoods, had a gluten-free menu at that time, oh. and they were the most aware, an allergy-conscious place that I felt comfortable with. I would look up places that had gluten-free menus, and I would go there. Now, I went to Legal Seafood and had a bad incident where they put the wrong thing on my food, and I almost ate it because I trusted them. And believe it or not, after that, a waiter or a waitress never brought my food out again. They implemented a new system, and managers bring out your food at oh, Legal wow. Seafood. Was it because of that situation? Probably that, and right. it probably happened at a few right. other places. But but after that situation, I was scared to go out. That's pretty cool that they're pretty proactive like that. Yep, because you're playing with, well, shellfish allergy at Legal yeah, Seafood. Yeah. Again. So after that, though, what happened was I got anxious. I got really nervous about going out, and I did not feel comfortable for a long time. So if I did go out, I ate the things that were the plainest, that were the easiest to not get cross-contaminated. So if I went somewhere, I had a steak on a grill that was plain, and I had the plain plain vegetables. It's boring. Again. It's boring, but it gets the job done, right? Gets the job done, but when you're someone that loved food and loved going out, and that was part of your life and your culture and and everything about you that was your your thing, you really, you need a period of mourning. Yeah. I mean, like the weekend before I got diagnosed that I had to go on my diet, it was like a binge. It was like a free-for-all. I shouldn't tell you what I ate. <laughs> I could. But it's pretty nasty. But kind of thinking about the mindset behind that because you have to make a huge sacrifice for the rest of your life because part of eating food and drinking certain things is enjoying life and experiencing Absolutely. life, right? But then if you have to give those up for the betterment of your health, like m- mentally you've got to come to that. Yeah. And, and be, I was and be not at a peace cooker. with it. Right. I was not someone who, so again, Thank you to the person that I was with at the time. You know, um, she helped me a lot. I had a great partner who took the time to help me to cook, to to create things that were as similar to something that I wanted or liked because she knew that my entire life existence was about to change. So again, if it wasn't for her, again, she gave me a lot of support at that time, but I didn't cook. So when I was left to my own demise, it was like, Still to this day, it is rolled up, uh, you know, turkey slices, you know, <laughs> with a cucumber or something. I mean, it's like the whole food special. Right. So um, preparation became huge. I went back to we always joked around that it was like having um, a five year old or, or a two year old again. Got to pack snacks. Yep. Got to prep. Got to make time. sure you're where you're going. And forget travel for the meantime. But man, it did happen again. But once time started to pass by and I felt better. I edged out a little bit. And every three months, I had to get a blood test. Yeah. Then it became every six months, and my numbers just went down, 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 down. And then Fantastic. finally, we were normal again. Yeah. Within a year. Within a year. Within a year okay. of full compliance right. on that diet. So that's huge, right? Full com- It's everything. Yeah. You will not, your numbers aren't going down. They'll go down a little, but they ain't going down if you're having the bagel here and there. And I think in the first year, we had one incident 
where uh, P.F. Chang's Takeout. P.F. Chang's is another great restaurant for celiac because they know they have a separate gluten-free menu, but at the time, they didn't label the stuff as they do now. They literally have it in different containers now. I had soy sauce. Mm. And please, people, soy sauce is not soy product, not soy bean, soy sauce. Look at the ingredient. First ingredient, wheat. Yep. Wheat-free tamari is the only thing that works for celiac disease, not soy sauce. Right. So that was the only time I got uh, poisoned in the first year. Wow. But yeah. And then after that initial kind of setback, how long did it take kind of take you to get back to 100 yeah, again? Great question. Um, so the initial thing when it happened, it was instantaneous. Instantaneous. The soy sauce on the lettuce. Well, that's interesting wrap. because they say sometimes it'll t- be a couple of days, but that was instantaneous for me. Oh yeah. Okay. So a lot of celiacs that I know, it's pretty instantaneous. Yeah. Um, a lot of them they throw up. I'm not. I don't throw up. But man, I was. Yeah, it was in the back. And then the stomach pain didn't. I had about a good two week bout. I'm mm. about a two two week person. If something happens, and then it takes a while for it to then calm down. And I have to be very careful with, with what I eat. I basically like back everything down. Don't eat a lot of anything heavy on the the dairy, the sugar, the this, the that. Very very plain, small amounts. You know. And um, it again, it takes time, but it goes back. But you gotta be compliant yeah yeah you mentioned snacks there and you know kind of planning ahead of time what are some of your go-to snacks today Mm -hmm. and stuff you basically implement weekly maybe so i'm totally psyched that i was able to um get dairy back Mm. i was able to get full fat dairy back as everyone at the training room knows i'm a full fat all the way high on the calories nothing like that bothers me um and again i think we should eat real food so um for me, I'll find a full fat, you know, if it could be a yogurt, you know, one of the 4% Siggies or something yeah. like that. Good Again, I, I can do, you know, a banana with peanut butter, a banana with almond butter. I can do um, certain fruits. Again, we could go more into detail on things, but like um, berries are very easy for me to get down. I can do uh, any type of protein, so roll-ups or gluten-free bread or gluten-free wrap. But again, for me, salad, raw vegetables do not work while well. I'm not a salad person. Yeah. It just, I can't break it down in my body. So all my vegetables are cooked, right. either steamed or grilled, uh, not heavy on the sauce. But again, salad, uh, yeah. Is, is that a, an immune system? So leafy greens, as we all know, and certain vegetables like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, um, they're more of, um, they're just higher on the coniferous scale. They're just yeah. hard to break down. That's why, so let's take gluten, for instance. Does anybody eat pasta raw? No. Why? You boil it in boiling water to get it in your system. Why? Because your body can't break it down. Mm. So hunter and gatherer, why did they eat meat and those things? Straight up, didn't have to boil something down. So then we started a, a basically, you know, where we were, okay, let's find these other products, but we have to cook them. You have to cook rice for a while, right? You yeah. have to break it down just to get it in your system. Doesn't mean rice is bad, right. but you have to think about your body working on overtime. So for me, raw stuff just didn't work. So again, I knew that. I found a way to eat other vegetables so i eat you know a lot of different vegetables some are better than others and moderation if i do one thing the same for a while i'm not going to feel good so i try to moderate my diet as much as possible not getting fixated on one thing versus another and i find that that would be a key component to some of our clients is they love to get in the mix they're like oh i'm on this thing i found this really awesome snack or this drink or something Anytime you over have one thing, whether it's healthy or not, your body's not probably going to be optimal about yeah. it. It's going to 
build up something to it. Would you say that's basically how food sensitivity is coming about? It's just the yes, overconsumption of things? Yep. Right? So I had food sensitivity. Um, I got tested for all food allergies and all food sensitivities, and I got this done at a naturopath. Uh, in Cambridge, and I actually came back positive for everything that I loved in life. I came back positive for eggs. Mm. I can eat eggs. I'm not allergic. How, how did she test you? They prick test, so a okay. uh, little bit of blood, and then basically they draw circles around everything. You wait a certain amount of hours. They come back. The ones that are pretty positive, they come up pretty quick. So for me, like eggs and coffee, coffee beans. I drink coffee, but I'm not sick from it. Yeah. But again, I have a coffee a day. Right. So sure, I'm going to come back. But it's the big ticket thing. So all that that's showing you is that if you have a food sensitivity, like a lot of people have a sensitivity to garlic. Well, it could be garlic. It could be how much you're eating it. It could be how you're eating it mixed in. We all know about food pairing. Mm -hmm. Food pairing is a huge thing, whether you're eating your protein alone, your protein with a vegetable, what kind of vegetable are you eating it with? Are you eating it with a grain? What kind of grain? So that's where, again, tracking comes in, writing things down, looking. Well, you have your coffee. How do you take it? Well, I have milk in it. Well, I have sugar in it. Well, you have three, two other components right now that could be a problem. Did you have your coffee on an empty stomach? Did you have it with your whole wheat bagel? Right. I mean, that that's it's it, you could go down the black hole, but again, if you want to feel better, you can make it happen. Yeah. We talked a little bit before again off air about uh, the immune system and also someone with hypothyroidism, and I have, I have hypothyroidism, a little bit more affected by stuff like food sensitivities, celiac disease. Why is that? So autoimmune disease, what they're finding out more and more is that there are so many connections between different ones. So lo and behold, my parents didn't have it, but my mom has Hashimoto's, which mm-hmm. is hyper, yeah, yeah, same thing you have, yeah. right? So, which is autoimmune as well. So, because you and I both have an autoimmune disease, in general, we are going to be more susceptible to things. With that said, what it is we're susceptible to could be any bout. It also could be you're a little more stressed today. You went and had, you know, that same snack that you always have that feel good. Now you don't feel good. Lo and behold, it's probably not the snack. It could be the stress, could be the snack, could be the stress. You, You don't know. So, what you can do is just try to find the big ticket things. And what makes you feel more optimal, stick to that. If something after a couple of days isn't the same, then maybe change it. But what they try to do is they want, when you do any type of food elimination diet, you have to eat one thing and only one thing. You have to take the time to let it go through and digest and then move on to the other thing and then put in another component because we forget that when we go out or have a meal, there are five, six, seven, eight components in one appetizer break it down to its most simplest thing. So you might want to stay home for a little bit, eat at home, figure yourself out, save a little money. Were you at all recommended to go on an elimination diet at any point? Or was that that part of your protocol at any stage? Yep, we did some things about eliminating things. So once I had celiac disease and I got diagnosed, uh, my nutritionist, who again, great that I found that I that we had her at Beth Israel we did some big ticket things of stuff because I still wasn't feeling optimal yeah that's when we started getting into maybe a little bit more with fructose with certain fruits we got into certain vegetables just to try to find what worked after that I started to feel better and then again part of it is just your gut needs to heal it needs time so what I couldn't have then I might be able to have now per se or it still could be a, an issue. For me, it's sugar and fiber, so like the skin of an apple. I'm not great with a whole apple. Applesauce, though, feed me, I'm ready good to go. To go. Yep. So basically baby food. Right. <laughs> I'm good with baby food. And that's, and that's 
that's okay. But like milk is the most interesting thing for me because a lot of milk's getting a lot of a lot of a lot of downplay. A lot of people are hurting on milk, and I I am whole milk. Again, I don't overdo it, but I am so happy to have milk back in my life. I was on lactate for so long. I even tried soy. I tried those other wow. things, nut milks. I just wanted the real so thing. So can can you take in milk now? Be totally fine when you consume it, mm-hmm. or is it? If I overconsume in milk, I'm mm-hmm. going to have a reaction. Sure. So as long as my diet stays pretty clean and pretty level, we'll yeah. say with you know the occasional on the weekend have something or maybe you know a little more off on a, a trip. Yeah, I can. I can actually. I can. I can drink. I drink uh, again good quality milk. I drink Holland Farms. Yeah. Full fat. But the more full fat I have in my diet with pure foods, real foods, not sugar based foods. So I don't. No, I don't. I do, there's not a lot in a box yeah. that I that I eat, and the more that I do that, I can have the enjoyable, full fat things, and that's what I'm trying to teach my clients about is that you can have those really good tasting things, but you got to give up the garbage or right. the, the other processed stuff. So yeah, if I eat more processed things, you know, I need a quick bar, so I get some. I I really stay away yeah. from that stuff because I'm hungry after it. Right. I see a theme emerging here. It's almost like what we preach about moderation, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Go figure. You know, it's weird that that's kind of drawn a parallel here. What would you say to someone who maybe has a reaction to maybe wheat-based products but doesn't come up as positive on it, like a celiac disease test maybe? Yeah, good, good question. So I've had a couple uh, clients and conversations. So the first thing I would say is that if you feel something going on, don't pull yourself off first. Here's what I would say, full stop, don't pull yourself off gluten or anything. If you start feeling something, go first to your doctor and say, you know, I, I, I heard this podcast or I read this thing or something, could you run a simple blood test for celiac disease or something like that? And they may say, oh, maybe IBS, this and that. Again, a simple blood test, it's a TTG, just maybe just get that done first, just to see. If that then comes back, positive obviously then you've got some work when things are there they're going to get you into a gi get going from there if that comes back not positive or not high enough on a scale or something then yes we can start to kind of take matters into your own hands a little bit and start to remove things different products affect people differently so gluten let's just say the big ones are wheat rye barley spelt let's say oats. Oats because of cross-contamination, not oats is the product. True oats, Bob's Red Mill, something like that, they are gluten-free. Quaker oats, potentially though, they are cross-pollinated or cross in the soil where one day they have oats and then the next crop they have wheat. So now it's in the soil. So basically, there are plenty of gluten-free grains that you can have out there. But you can also take into effect the quality of the grain. I'm a strict believer that if you eat good whole grains, like good gluten, like good strong, like you get it from good reputable places, you might feel better. But if it doesn't work for you, then yes, you could start to pull off. Behold, though, it could be a lot of other things going on. Are you eating that whole grain bread with peanut butter and jelly? What kind of jelly is it? Mm -hmm. Are you eating it with some other sugar? Are you eating other apples? Things all work together, process together. So you can start with a few things, but I'd say get a a journal, get analog because you're going to need some space. That app ain't going to give you enough space to write these things (laughs) down. So um, I'd say start to dive in a little bit. And then somebody else out there, again, you look on the World Wide Web, that's going to be, there's so much stuff out there. It's going to be a black hole, but there's a lot of information out there, some good information. But first, go to your doctor because if it's a simple blood test. Then from there, work work backwards, you know, or work from there. Yeah, yeah, and they'll they'll put you on a track basically to kind of find out what's going on, right? 
So obviously with celiac disease, you know, it took you a little while to kind of find out what was going on and blood tests and, and sensitivity tests were, were kind of part of that. When it comes to food allergies, I'm thinking that's going to be a little bit more almost automatic because you're going to have such a, a negative reaction to mm-hmm. certain foods that you want to know straight away something's definitely not right here. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you have a full-blown food allergy, you probably know about it or you've known about it. I mean, there's so many different things I'm sure Heidi could tell a lot more about this, but just the way they interact food with kids now, there is such a path that they take. It's so like down to a science now. Yeah. Like you can't have this until this um, because of that. So there are different degrees of allergy. Again, if your throat closes allergy kind of thing, like that is full full stop. The, the image of Will Smith and a hitch comes to mind. Yes, right? yes, there we go. <laughs> However, if you get a rash per se, and it's just like you don't feel well, you don't feel optimal, you feel down, that, that, that could be a food allergy, but it could be a sensitivity, but it could be something... Could be a combination of factors. It could, yeah, and that's what I'm going back at that. You start to go out to eat a meal and you're listening to the people next to you ordering and it's like well I have this that and this and that I'm allergic to this and I'm, when you say those words though that weight staff I worked as weight staff for a long time that person is allergy is a word that you want to be really careful mm-hmm. when you use it you don't have an allergy please don't use that word yeah. you don't have celiac disease please don't say you have an allergy to gluten. You I think know? that's a really important point because... The yeah. kitchen is, I mean, they're trying their best back there. If you don't like mushrooms, just tell them you don't like mushrooms. You don't want mushrooms. You don't have a sensitivity. You don't like them. Just own it. You don't like tomato. Own it. Because you are then setting that kitchen into a state of flux because now they think that they have someone with an allergy to mushrooms or an allergy to tomato, which I've never heard of anyone with an allergy to mushrooms, but whatever. Anyways, you can have an allergy to anything. But I think there's a lot of people out there with some serious stuff that you don't want to take something away from them. And then it's because of that that the kitchen had to turn a blind eye to something, and then by accident they mix something with the same spoon, which ain't going to bother you and your allergy of to yeah. mushrooms at the end of the day. Right. So know that the kitchen's working hard to make things happen. And also, if you have so many issues with foods, I'm sorry, go cook at home. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're going, I mean, honestly, like it's again, there's people that are they're doing the best they can, and I know it's a tough, tough, tough world to be in, but like. Just be honest about what you have. Yeah, and I think part of it is someone has a reaction. They're like, I have a food allergy. That may not be the right term to use. It's not the right terminology, correct. But you need to to dig deeper. You need Mm -hmm. to see what's going on. You may have a food sensitivity, right? And that's totally legit. Like, I don't react well to wheat products, but I'm not celiac, you know? So, But I I don't go in and say I have a food allergy because it's not... It's not like code red, you know? Absolutely. Yep. So, and even then, I, I even don't use the word allergy or whatever I work best. And when they say, do you have celiac? Yeah, I have celiac, but I'm good with cross-contamination. I can have stuff that's processed in the same mm-hmm. oil or I'm actually okay on that, you know, toaster now because I've been at it for so long. I know my body. Some people can't have any. And I respect that. They can't have that that burger touch near that bun. I, I get it. I can't have it on the bun. We don't want it near it. But like, could the bun be on another end of the grill and my burger be on the other end? Yes, I'm okay with that. So again, I respect people who have celiac disease and different limitations than I have. And I respect food allergies and food sensitivities. But again, I'm not going to say I'm I'm allergic to gluten and I'm going to have an anaphylactic shot. No, I have I have an autoimmune disease. Do Does the word allergy come up sometimes? Yes, because people just don't know. Yep. And I'm not going to teach them in 20 seconds. But I'm going to make sure that they know that I'm not going to 
keel over here. Right. And, and that, that's a really good point because you're right. Wait staff have a tough job as it is. Absolutely. Right? So. And, and then just, again, just try to be nice. Try to, but again, if you don't have an allergy, don't have a sensitivity, and you really just don't like something, just say that. Yeah. It's okay. Just make it simple. Just make it simple. Yeah. Say it. Following on from that, in relation to what we do every day, coaching people, trying to get them towards their goals, whether it's body image or it could be lifting a certain weight. How would a food sensitivity, celiac disease, or food allergy mm-hmm. impact maybe someone's body image goals or even just you know their yeah. day-to-day? Great, great question. So I was an endurance athlete at the time when I got diagnosed, so I can relate it back to that pretty quickly. I was like, wait a minute. I'm an endurance athlete. I'm training for the Boston Marathon. I'm, I'm doing some races. I, I need carbs, but no carb is working for me right now. You know something? What was incredible? I felt better training with less carbohydrates than I felt. Felt I I got brown rice in me or white rice either rice that was about my my major carb my body learned to get my energy from somewhere else my body learned to break down or use the right things at the right times we sometimes over consume things do I want to break it down my muscle absolutely not was I lifting yes was I eating my protein was I eating my vegetables was I maybe you know supplementing with a little whey protein back then absolutely but you know something. We mostly, for the most part, as a population, eat too much of something. So we all could do a little bit. So for me at that time, being an endurance athlete, I was a little more worried about that. So I did find some bread products. You know, if I wanted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on a long run or something, I did find something that worked. Um, I'd say for if, depending upon what the body image goal is, I mean, again, I think the difference is not so much in if it's a gluten-free product versus a regular product. I think the, the, the definite difference is really what's going on like how much of that product how often of that thing how how the consumption factor because when you start to write it down honestly you will really quickly see it's that extra they may be surprised how much right oh yeah it's that extra beverage it's that appetizer it's that fried you know wonton or that you know tempura samosa whatever it is like i'm telling you it's probably not the gluten (laughs) maybe and also both maybe making you feel pretty bad yeah and in relation to uh, to inflammation, did you notice like just your general well being just skyrocket once you got one hundred percent? And from people you've coached, maybe perhaps they have gone from maybe feeling not so great when they've been affected by food sensitivities to actually identifying them, getting off that food, and then being like, yeah. you know, great question. Basically, basically having less inflammation. Yeah, yeah, great, great question. When they start changing something in their diet, a lot of my clients, me included, um, the immediate effect is pretty short, short term. If they stay on it, their 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 mindset becomes unbelievable. I mean, and when you feel better and your mindset is better, I guess what my clients were saying to me at the time when I got diagnosed, they were like, Mary, you're just, you're happy. Nice. <laughs> I felt better. Yeah. Oh, damn, I was happy. And that allowed me to make good decisions. That allowed me to stay on my diet. So imagine someone who's, let's say, trying to, you know, do a little weight loss and they start making better decisions and someone says to them, wow, you look good. You're happy. It's going to make it that much easier maybe to make those good decisions. But what I can say is just take a step back. Be cognizant of what's going on. Ask yourself, you know, why am I doing it? Or is this going to make me feel good or not? And I know you can't always be perfect. You can't always. But at the end of the day, if you know something is not going to make you feel good, that's on you. We're adults. Alex Stansky, you like an adult. We're adults. Nobody's force feeding (laughs) us. We are choosing. We're making choices and we have choices. Yeah. People that go to the training room, we, we treat ourselves well with food. You know, we, we have some, we have great stores around us. We're choosing those products at the end of the day. Yeah. So just be an adult and make the right decision. Right? Own it. Yeah. Own it. That's it. And if you make the wrong one, you've got to own up to it and try to make a better one and next the time. The yeah. greatest part is the body is going to let you know. 
You can't trick yeah, it. That's true. So when you eat that thing, it is going to be pretty much, again, it may be instantaneous. It may be in two days. You may have inflammation. You're just not going to feel as optimal. You're not going to feel, it could be happy. You're going to feel more bloated. And then guess what? Your whole state's going to go down. Your mental state, your yeah. focus, your yeah. energy. So if you know that that's going to happen because you had that extra, the I don't even know what a fried appetizer is these days or some Funyun or something, but wh- why would you do it? Yeah. Short-term gain over long-term, feeling better. So let's put this all together. What advice would you give to someone who is perhaps in a position right now who's like, I'm a totally identifying with what you're saying. I'm in a position where I don't feel good after certain foods. I'm really at my wit's end with mm-hmm. this. What's their course of action to find a resolution? Yep. First thing I'd say, if you have a PCP or your primary care, whoever your doctor is, and if you don't have one, get one. Um, we all should be getting a physical every year. Talk to them. Tell them your symptoms. Tell them what they are, whatever that is. Try to get them to listen and say, hey, could we run some simple blood tests? Blood tests are not expensive for them to do. It's not expensive for surgery. I mean, it's not expensive like surgery or scopes or anything else. Get some blood tests done. See if they'll do that. That may help to define some factors. It may show some things going on. If not, then there has to be a few more conversations. So the first step I would say is talk to your doctor. See what they have to say again. If they're like, it's IBS or this and that. Again, you could say, yup, I'm sure there is some stress related to this. Absolutely, I'm stressed out just talking to you about this. However, could we please just run some simple things? You can get lactose tests. There are other things that you can get, but again, it's gonna take some time. And if you don't get the answers you want, then yes. But the more you pay attention, the more you start to maybe write down or start to take a little bit of the matters into your own hands. Again, don't pull yourself off of everything first because it's not going to come back accurate. If you pull yourself off of gluten and eat less gluten, you will not have an accurate TTG, my friends. So please keep shoveling that gluten until you have that TTG or that blood test. And then after that, you can make other choices or decisions. But again, do not take the matters into your own hands. And then after that, then go seek out some other, there's other therapists out there for help. There's other food allergists, food intolerance people, nat- naturop- naturopaths, you know, there's even acupuncture, some yeah. people. Were you referred to a nat- naturopath? Yeah, I did do a bout of that when I did food intolerance testing because I still wasn't feeling quite optimal. But yeah. again, it took time. Yeah. And you know what a big component of it was? Stress. I'm sorry. It's, 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 it's yeah. huge. I mean, it's um, the hidden one, right? What? What your life is like, your lifestyle, what you're doing, the training demands on your body, sleep, things like that. I mean, it all goes hand in hand. So you can't feel optimal or expect your body to feel optimal if you're not treating it in an optimal or more optimal environment. Yeah. So if you do get some of those factors down, drinking more water, getting a little more sleep and um, de-stressing a little bit, you probably will feel a little bit better even with the gluten in your system. Yeah, no, you're, you're yeah. spot on. You're absolutely spot on. I think you just nailed it right there. Uh, and of course, the podcast being the four pillars of health, I mean, you just kind of hit everything we're looking to, to hit right there. Hey, this has been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you just nailed it. <laughs> yeah, this is good fun. It's good fun. This, is, this has been fantastic. I love the information you've given the listeners. I, I, I know people are going to get a lot from this. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I mean, if I'm living through it and it can help anybody to identify something or feel a little bit better or question something, then again, you know, job well done because we all give them one chance at this life. So we all should feel as optimal as possible. That's true. That's true. That's what we try to preach every day, right? Preach. Excellent. Marin, thank you so much. Guys listening, I hope you enjoyed. There is a lot of really good information in here. If you get a second, 
give us a little review on iTunes. We would really appreciate that. Until next time, see you soon.